0: Uh, we've been talking out of 1 Thessalonians about the faithful church, and the uh, question is good there. Are you ready for church to be uh, fed by God, to hear His Word, to minister to one another? And uh, that's what we're talking about today is family life in the faithful church. And as we look at 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, now we're going to find something about Paul as he talks the Apostle Paul about how he went to Thessalonica, how he preached there, stayed only a short time. But as he did most everywhere else he went, he planted a church with those who came to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And in here, we will see something about the analogy that he makes about life uh, in the church as being like a family life. And that's where we have relationships with brothers and sisters. That's where we encourage one another. That's where we hear about God. That's where we serve God and use our gifts. So, Paul begins in chapter 2 by saying... You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Now, Paul kind of is introducing what, what he did. He talks about the fact that he had suffering, persecution at Philippi. He left there, he came to them, he preached to them the gospel for no other reason except for them to come to know the truth about God and his love. And now we read what follows after that. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. And you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, read into the, the book of this letter of 1 Thessalonians, I think we can obviously say that, that Paul was... Uh, the original church planner. Everywhere he went on his missionary journeys, he would proclaim the gospel, people would hear the gospel, respond to it in faith, and no matter how long he was there, whenever he left, he left behind a church that had been established. And so we look at Paul and his journeys and we see That when he entered the city here at Philippi, I mean at Thessalonica, he had come from being run out of Philippi. He met with opposition again. And in spite of the opposition and rejection and being forced to leave, we find out that he still uh, was faithful in that pattern of preaching the gospel. People would believe and respond and a church was there. Paul was only there for three weeks. But the end result of his preaching is he labored night and day, he talked about. And for no other reason. No personal gain on his part except to impart to them the word of God. Out of that came believers and out of that came a church after only three weeks. And Paul writes to them here as a, I think, humble but proud spiritual father of another church uh, that had been founded. And the writing to this church is of that father mode reminds us then uh, that he was writing to do some things in particular. And that is to thank them, to encourage them, and to inform them. Uh, I, I started in, in this book, the First Thessalonians, uh, about two weeks ago in response to uh, you honoring me on my 25th anniversary on that first Sunday in January. And, and it's not about me. Uh, and I wanted to make that clear. That wasn't about me. You know, I mean, I don't get to stay 25 years on my own. And so a lot of it went to you as a faithful church. And that's how I responded. I wanted to do that. I didn't really plan on going through First Thessalonians. But the more that I read it, the more that I thought, you know, there are things in here that Paul writes to this family of believers that I think we would benefit from hearing. And so we're going to go through First Thessalonians until we finish this. And hopefully by uh, the end of March we'll do that. But there's, there's a lesson for us in, in all of this. And I think it really speaks to us because, you know, Paul really didn't have any criticism of this church, nothing to condemn them. He was just writing to thank them for their faith and that they were a faithful church and how they served and lived. And so what he is saying here is that life in the church is like life in the family. Life in the kingdom of God is being in the family of God. And church life should be lived out as a family because we are children of God. And in all these years of ministry, it it never ceases to amaze me. People will join and and then mm, sometimes some people plug in and they stay active and they stay there. Some people plug in for a little while and then... You know, you hear that phrase, well, it's just not meeting my needs. I'm not getting fed. And so they move on and they go somewhere else or they just drop out completely. Some say, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. And to me, that's like saying you love swimming, but you don't want anything to do with water. Well, the church is the body of Christ with many different members. I mean, just look at the diversity of our own congregation. And and all of us are put here by God's divine plan because of the spiritual gifts that we possess, and the reason that that's done is because we all bring what we possess by spiritual gifts and our abilities and our, our, our what we are favoring to do, our, our musical abilities, our teaching skills, you know, whatever it might be. In fact, First so Peter 4.10 finds Peter writing and saying, As each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so that's what we do as a church. Is that we use our spiritual gifts to serve God and, and out of His grace because He has brought us into the church, which is the family of God. Now, I think when people shun the church, they don't understand the church. It's not an organization uh, like uh, the PTA or like ARP, or it's not a, a club like Rotary Club or Lions Club or, or Kiowas or whatever, whatever Kiwanis or whatever else it might be. In fact, Rick Warren said this Church is not a place you go to church is the family you belong to. Now with that setting the stage for us I want us to look at what Paul says basically in two things that he says that I think are true in family life out here that we live and also that's true in the life of the church. And that is that we have blessings and there are also responsibilities. Those two things go together. Let's look first at the blessings. See the blessings of life in the family of God is that he compares our life to being in in a family that we are the children of God and we are the family of God. The family of God, that phrase, does not appear in the scriptures. There are many, many uh, references to the fact that there are parallels between life in the church and life in a family that we're part of the family of God. And Ephesians three fourteen through 15 is where Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You catch that about the family of God? It's not only those of us who are here on earth, but it's also those who have died in the Lord and going on to glory in heaven. And they too are still part of that family. And we can say that God's family is a forever family. When we become a part of his family here on earth, we're a part of that family even as we die and then we live forever in the glory of God. Now, what are the blessings that come to us as being in the family? Well, I think they're twofold. First of all, we share a relationship with the same father. Uh, And a biological family is traditionally defined by blood origins and common ancestry. Uh, But Jesus gives us a new definition for this uh, new family and it's called the family of God. But in there he uses his biological family as an example to show to us what it means to be a part of the family of God. Sometimes I think that we forget that Jesus had a biological family. We know that Mary was his birth mother. We know that Joseph was his stepfather and that really God was his father through the impregnating of Mary through the Holy Spirit. And so we see that as as Jesus lived out his life, he was living also uh, cognizant of the fact that he had a biological family. Perhaps the last incident that we find in the life of Jesus is when he was around 12. He got left in the temple. And when Mary and Joseph went back to find him, remember what Jesus said to him? And they said, why did you do us this way? We were so worried about you. Didn't know where you were. He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about Joseph the carpenter's business. He was talking about his father's business. So somewhere shortly after that time, most scholars think that Joseph died and passed off the scene. And as Jesus grew and became a young man, he took up the skill and trade of being a carpenter. All of that preparing him for the day that he would step out to be the Messiah. And so, when that happens, we find in Mark three an interesting, interesting uh, uh, gathering of people. And the experience that Jesus' biological family had in coming to encounter where Jesus was. So in Mark 3 we read the scripture saying, Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When, this fam- when his family heard about this they went to take care of him for they said he is out of his mind. Now that's his family, biological family. And they're talking about Jesus when he announced that he was the Messiah and going out to preach the kingdom of God. They said, he's out of his mind. You'd probably have that same kind of attitude. So your son or your daughter, whatever, reaches that age of 30, they got a nice cushy job, got a good income, good benefits. And they say, well, I'm leaving this to go into the ministry. And then especially if that person were to say, and I'm going, I am the Messiah, as Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. You know, they said here very kindly, he's out of his mind. We might say he's two or three eggs short of a dozen or two or three donuts short of a dozen. And, and so that was their reaction to that. And then look at listen to the rest of the story. So then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now eventually his biological family would accept him after his death, burial and resurrection. James, his brother, became uh, the leader of the church and wrote the book of James that we have in the New Testament. Jude, his brother, uh, became also an outspoken person for the faith, wrote the little tiny little book of Jude with the main emphasis on it for us to continue to contend for the faith, to maintain that faith. But now if you listen to this story and you just see that Jesus rebukes his biological family, you're missing the point. What Jesus is doing is is he used the presence of his biological family to teach us that there is another family that's even more important and more significant for us to belong to. And that's the family of God where we find acceptance and where we find encouragement and where we find uh, a life that's alive and free and, and, and inspiring as we live life in the church of God. Now, one of the mistakes that some people make and one of the other extremes, some people say, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I love Jesus, but I don't want the church On the other extreme of those that say, well, we're all God's children. Now, let me give you a clarification of that. We are all God's creations, but not everybody is God's children. You're not a child of God unless you've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ and have become a child of God by that spiritual birth. And see, that's part of the the, the pluralism that we deal with in our culture today. You've probably seen the bumper stickers that say coexist, and it's a neat way they got coexist spelled with the different symbols uh, of different beliefs. In fact, Alan Jackson, the country star uh, music store, uh, had a song some years back entitled uh, "The Children of God," and this is the lines that he has in here. Uh, he says, "Here comes a Baptist, here comes a Jew, there goes a Mormon and a Muslim too. I see a Buddhist and a Hindu, I see a Catholic, and I see you." And then there's the refrain that says, we're all God's children, we're all God's children, we're all God's children, why can't we be one big happy family? Well, I can answer his question. Number one again, we're not all God's children. You're only God's child and a part of His family by spiritual birth, by faith in Jesus Christ. And we can't be one big happy family. You can't just coexist with all the different religions. And that's where we have to say that there is one way and one way only to Jesus and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, there is a difference. In fact, Jesus even pointed that out, the differences of different families. You know, he said there are two fathers and two families. And this is what he said to the Pharisees. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, that's pretty strong words, isn't it? So, how do we become a part of God's family? How do we have God as our father? Well, he says that in John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you see, that's part of the, the privilege that we have and the blessing we have being in the kingdom of God. We're part of God's family. And then there's a second one, and that is that we share fellowship with our family members. When you go back and you start looking at the birth of the church, they, they did something unique. They started calling each other what? Brothers and sisters. And that's a tradition that some churches still carry on. A lot of times it's going down to where just the pastor is brother. Be interested in Jason, are they gonna call you brother Jason up there? Have they said anything? You know, when I was in Kentucky, it was Brother Robert. When I moved here to South Carolina at, at uh, went to Elam, it was Mr. Winburn. You know, and I'd always look around and see if my father had appeared from somewhere, you know. Now, here I came to Spring Valley, and it's, hey, you, you know. So, you <laughs> know, d- different ways, different ways of thinking about that. But these people who became the church and the family of God called each other brothers and sisters. And they weren't even related. Oftentimes, they weren't even of the same race. But they stayed connected to one another. They enjoyed fellowshipping with one another. I think that was the key to the success of the church. When you look at that picture of that beautiful healthy church in Acts 2, listen to their togetherness. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That being together I think is twofold. They were together literally, and yet they were together in a kindred spirit in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Scripture goes on to say they sold their possessions to take care of one another, and they continued to meet together daily and take food together, and then talk about spiritual things. And the result of that? is that God blessed the church. And day by day, the scripture says, people were added to their fellowship. So today, the church is about 2 million, billion or so strong. And and it's in that context that we find our strength, It's when we're together, when we're united, when we can be together and experience God's power at work through us. A while ago, we read about the family of God out of Ephesians 3. And 14 and 15, let me read it for you again. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, that's where we find that there is a reference that we can come out of that with the church is the family of God. Living in the life of the church is living family life in the church of God. Now he goes on to talk then about what the church at Ephesus should experience. And that is, he says to them, I pray out of the glorious riches that he will strengthen you with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that through your power, together with all the thanks, you will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And then he says these words that we probably have memorized at some point in time, 20 and 21. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now catch this in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see how Paul says that power that can do immeasurably more than we can even think about comes to us? It comes through his glory through the church. That's where he expects his power to be. Now, we have the power of God in our own life through the Holy Spirit and dwelling in our life. But if we don't have a relationship to the church where we are nurtured, then we're not going to experience that power that flows through the life of the church that can do things that we never expect or anticipate God to do. Now, I know some evangelist friends, and and they are on the road full time. You know, that's that's, that's their lifeblood. That's how they are called to make their living. Uh, and, And... they have a home church with which they're connected. And they say that's where they send their time. That's where whenever they're in town, they're there to, to, to be nurtured and encouraged. I have a good friend. You know, we met uh, through Doc and his uh, son-in-law in Louisiana at seminary with, with Sarah Lynn. Uh, Bill Britt, one of the evangelists from uh, down in Texas. Now he not only is an evangelist going around from church to church preaching, but he has an organization called Compelled International. They have an orphanage for children in Africa. They have an orphanage for children in Mexico. Doing wonderful things. And he has an organization that backs him up. But he also knows about life in the church. And his pastor has him to preach twice a year just so that he's before the people doing that. Ain't that great? So you see, there are parts of those responsibilities, blessings that we have in the life of the church. And when we're together, you know, two or three snowflakes, sometimes around here we go crazy, but it doesn't really stop us, right? But you get a whole bunch of them together like they've had in the Northeast and all through in the Midwest and all. And they've got power. they got power to shut down uh, roads and city and all of that. When we're banded together and the power of God is at work through us, we have power to knock down doors. To batter the, literally the gates of hell and to set people free from the bondage of sin. That's why we need to be together in that fellowship as the family of God. Then the second thing we experience are responsibilities. And those are responsibilities of ministering to each other uh, in the family of God. And Paul talks about two ways that he did that. First of all, like a gentle mother, he talked about caring. And so like a gentle mother, we care for each other. In verse 7, Paul said, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. And the words he used there describes a, a mother hen who covers her little chicks with her wings to protect them. It's the same image, same wording that Jesus used when he said in Matthew 23, weeping over Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. See, why, why do we need to give each other tender care? It's because we live in a world that's become so impersonal and basically through technology. People live on Facebook and, and, and by texting and by tweeting but there's so many millions of lonely people, lonely people. I read I read a story not too long ago, where a guy had, had everything set up for automatic payment, his rent and all the utilities, and all of that went through automatic payment through his, through his account, and he died sitting in his apartment. And it was like six months later before anybody found him. And that's when his bank account ran out of money. And they cut off the power and the paper quit coming and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine living that isolated that he would die and nobody would even miss him? That's a part of our culture today, the reality of it. And so we need to be like a gentle mother and care for one another. Make it personal in our relationships and show our care and concern. And then he uses a second analogy, and that is, he said, like a father, loving father, we encourage one another. Paul said, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Notice three of those words. He talked about encouraging. That literally has the idea and the concept of coming alongside a person and helping them take the next step. Our youngest grandchild, Josie, is a little over a year Old and now uh, when Andrew's moved to Fort Johnson Church in Charleston, we don't see him as often in the flesh, you know. So we're seeing a lot on, on FaceTime and we're watching her walk and take steps. The other night they did get to come by and I said, come, walk, come to Papa, walk to Papa. And she was able to take about six steps to me before she had to hold on to something. But that's the image that it has here about a father encouraging someone, a child along the way to walk. It's encouraging somebody to take the next step. The word comforting Paul uses, it simply means to console someone who is losing heart and feels like giving up. See, I regret that, that so many people here in the life of our church take life in this church for granted or take it very casually. I never have understood why if people join a church, they don't want to be active and be involved in the life of the church. You know, we have people from time to time that will plug in, they join, they plug in, they're on fire for a while, and then they start dropping out. I make contact, well, you know, it's just not meeting our needs anymore. We're just not getting fed anymore. You know, if I had $10 for every time I've heard that, we could pay off the student building today. You know, people ask me, why don't you listen to these talk shows? I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. You got any idea how many opinions I hear in a week's time? I hear enough of them I don't need to listen to anymore. Not on my free time. So part of the reason that you're a part of the family is to be nurtured and encouraged. And then the other word that he uses to describe a father's ministry is urging. And it simply means to state emphatically an opinion. That those opinions again. Or... A desire. And that is that we want to say to our children, we want to say to others in the church, in that family, the church family, that this is the truth and we want you to walk in this truth. And we urge you to do that. You see, God did that with Jesus. He said to him, I'm proud of you, I love you, and you do good work. Because when Jesus was baptized, he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that part of our responsibility with each other in the family of faith is that we're to encourage one another, not to lose hope. See, the writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, part of the responsibility that we have then is to nurture one another, encourage one another, comfort one another. And we do it best when we do it in the life of the church. So how do you become a part of the church? As we wrap this up, let me make three analogies that the Bible gives to us that shows how you become a part of a family and how that also can be related to how you become a part of God's family, which is the church. Okay? The first is this, Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Remember what John said in John 1 12, to all those who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He has that process of being born again. It talks about having faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you commit your life to him and you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are born again and you become a part of God's family. The second way you come into a family could be is through adoption. But when a family adopts a child, they've chosen to adopt that child. And that child has rights and privileges, and they become heirs in that family. In Romans eight fifteen through 16, we have that image that tells us that we also could be adopted. For it says, you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And the word that Jesus used there was not the normal word that means pray, is praetor, which means father, but he used the one abba, which means daddy. In other words, he says, call God daddy. Call God daddy. So you, you come to the family through adoption. Just another analogy for having faith in Christ as Savior and coming into the life of the church. And the third analogy that we find in the scripture is that you enter a family by marrying into it. Remember those vows for better or for worse? That kind of relates to that as well. You marry a person, you're marrying into that family as well. And so when you're married into the family, you're married, you become part of the bride of Christ when you come into the church. And Paul wrote this in Second Corinthians. He said, I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. That's part of the responsibilities we have, and that's part of the ways that you come by faith in Jesus Christ into the life of the church, and to be a part of the family of God. let Let me make a statement, and that's this. This church is not perfect. No church is. And the reason for that is because we're all imperfect people. Now, that reminds me of a little poem that I haven't read in a long, long time. I think I'll share it with you. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sakes, don't join that church. You'll spoil the atmosphere But since no perfect church exists, we're all imperfect men, then please stop looking for that church and love the church you're in. So keep on serving in your church until the resurrection, and then we will all be the church without an imperfection. I'll be the first to tell you there's not a perfect church because I'm not perfect. No church is perfect. You're not going to find one. And there's a poem that says if you do, don't join it because you'll ruin it. But we offer to you a life in this church at Spring Valley Baptist Church. It's been here for 33 years, ministering to people in Northeast Columbia. And we want to ask you to be a part of our family. You need a place to belong. You need a church home. You need a church family to love you and encourage you and nurture you. Then we want you to be a part of our family. And I ask you to make, make that decision today as you think about God's will for your life. Join me as we pray. Father. We thank you today for uh, the institution of the church uh, that we know today is like a family. We thank you that Jesus died to establish the church. He gave his life so that we could have that relationship with you, be your children by faith, be a part of your family. And as we live family life in in the church that's been faithful, Father, we know that we're to encourage one another, to support one another, to care for one another, to build each other up and to minister to others. And so, Father, I pray that we will continue to be faithful in doing that as we fulfill our mission of, of reaching people for Christ and making disciples out of them for your glory. Now, Father, I pray for decisions to be made today in accordance with your will and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.